It's almost 2021, and you know what that means. Time to prepare transfer pricing documentation for fiscal year 2020, a year severely impacted by COVID-19. This is a task many tax experts, of course, are dreading. Lots of questions surrounding documentation losses, restructuring, government assistance in terms of arm's length transfer pricing. Welcome, everyone. This is Matthew DeMello, host of The Fiona Show, here with nothing but good news. Our own chief economist, Mimi Song, has offered her own strategies today in a Bloomberg article titled Tax Scrutiny and Transfer Pricing, What You Can Expect in 2021. Perfect timing considering the OECD just released new guidance, guidance on the transfer pricing implications of the COVID-19 pandemic. As a matter of fact, in speaking of valuable documents issued by credible organizations, you can earn CPE credits for listening to this podcast. Here's how it works. We're planting three CPE code words throughout the course of this show. Send all three to The Fiona Show at xbs.ai. Again, that's all one word, The Fiona Show at xbs.ai, and we'll respond with your certificate. Now, let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news. While we've got our eyes on the crown, the British government has its eyes on multinationals and tax evasion. Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs is resuming its investigation on multinationals for profit shifting. The effort first launched in 2019 and was put on hold due to COVID-19. The HMRC has been sending written letters to multinationals since September, stressing that they examine their transfer pricing agreements and work with the Profit Diversion Compliance Facility. Companies have 90 days to present their transfer pricing information or risk, you guessed it, investigation. So why is the HMRC's transfer pricing kettle boiling over? The government is feeling the financial squeeze from the pandemic combined with an increase in taxes owed by the largest businesses operating in the UK. How much, you ask? An estimated 34.8 billion euros for financial year 2019 to 2020, an increase from 29.9 billion the year before. Look up the word persistence in the dictionary and you'll find a picture of the Canadian Revenue Agency next to it. Okay, not really, but they are relentless. The CRA continues its battle against mining titan Cameco, even with a series of losses under its belt. The latest news, the CRA filed an appeal to the Supreme Court on its Federal Court of Appeal case, which it lost this July. Here's what the legal war boils down to transactions conducted between the Canadian parent company and its Swiss subsidiary. The specifics, an intercompany contract beginning in 1999 set the uranium price at 10 US dollars per pound and continued for eight years. The problem, the set price that the parent and subsidiary established was the lowest global price of 2003, 2005 and 2006. Eek. The CRA is going even further. It will also be challenging the mining behemoths 2007 to 2013 tax years. If the Supreme Court of Canada takes the case, a verdict can be expected in mid-2022. The early bird gets the worm and transfer pricing compliance. The United States and Germany are teaming up to exchange country-by-country -country reports on large multinational companies. The IRS announced that the reports will apply from January 1st, 2019 to January 1st, 2020 in accordance with Article 26 of the Standing Treaty. But wait, let me clarify. This is a dress rehearsal, not the final performance. The countries are still in the midst of negotiations around a final competent authority agreement. So why are the two countries racing to the exchange altar?
What happened to good old-fashioned patients? Here's the answer. By exchanging information, the tax authorities of both countries can gauge if an m and is involved in tax avoidance. The competent authorities don't want to wait until the final agreement is well final to learn the outcome. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University Weekly. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai slash tpu. Welcome back, everyone. We're here again with Mimi Song, not only Cross-Border Solutions Chief Economist, but also an economy news pundit rock star, all in her own right. We're talking with her today in depth about her new article in Bloomberg, Tax Scrutiny, and what you can expect in 2021, and what new OECD guidelines mean for the post-COVID transfer pricing landscape. Mimi, not only do you offer your strategies in this article, but the OECD also just released guidance on how to handle transfer pricing for fiscal year 2020. What is the purpose of that guidance? Well, I, I think that the OECD's guidance is just to reinforce the arms link principle because a lot of companies are probably trying to understand, given the, the pandemic's impact to our organization, what should we be cognizant of? What what should we be considering? Are changes in the facts and circumstances going to have a material impact to the application or the interpretation of the arms and principle as it relates to my business? And the answer is actually yes, it will, right? Because transfer pricing is a facts and circumstances exercise. And so the application of the arms and principle still stands and, and still Still needs to be considered on its merits. That's right. And the OECD focuses on four points that you covered in your article. What are they and why are they such a concern for transfer pricing during COVID? Well, first and foremost, the, the two easy ones, right? I mean, comparability analyses, loss-making companies, and then there are two others that perhaps haven't been as considered, which relates to the intercompany agreements and along the same vein, advanced pricing agreement. But let's just start with the first one. I mean, comparability analysis. We know that transfer pricing analyses and reports, they're always a historical snapshot. So there's a delay or a lag in terms of the availability of information to taxpayers. So are you able to accurately determine that your related parties were operating at arm's length if you're comparing it to businesses that were not yet impacted by COVID. So there could be a, a lack of comparables or sufficient comparables in that regard, and perhaps that needs to be more explicitly considered. So that's comparability. Now, 
losses. Clearly, companies all over the world, they're losing money. And losses usually trigger a red flag for audits. But I think the tax authorities ultimately understand that losses are inevitable in this pandemic environment. And so they're not going to be overly sensitive about losses as, as perhaps in a non-pandemic environment. However, remember, every tax agency is out for themselves, right? And I'm not saying that because their intention is to be malicious. It's they still have to look out for the well-being of their country. And so even though they can anticipate that a, a company is going to be losing money in its jurisdiction, which decreases the tax revenue locally, you still, as a taxpayer, need to prove that those losses are valid, right? And you need to be able to justify those losses. Interrupting very briefly for our first CPE code word in this episode, and that code word is masks. Where would we even be in 2020 without face masks? Don't forget to wear your face mask, please. Returning to our conversation, you also wrote that multinational companies should prepare for even more tax scrutiny than we've seen. Can you tell us why more transfer pricing scrutiny is on the horizon? Well, I think one of the main points here is that governments have been helping taxpayers with relief programs, and those relief programs are extremely costly. And so tax authorities are going to look for ways to shore up that lost tax revenue, right? And how are they going to be able to do that? I mean, ultimately, they're going to have to figure out who is manipulating the system once again? And and by the way, this is the tax authority perspective. It's not my perspective. I don't think any multinational yeah. is necessarily manipulating the system. It's everybody's operating within the confines of the law. Now, it's different if you're looking at it unilaterally, right, from a jurisdiction. Let's just take Germany, for example. I mean, Germany will basically say, hey, you know, all of a sudden my tax revenue has declined by 20% versus maybe the U.S. did only decline by 10%. Clearly, this is an unevil swing of the pendulum, and therefore, we need to look at this more closely. Now, we've all been through recessionary environments. And, well, I think so. Because <laughs> the last one was only <laughs> about 10 years ago, and I'm pretty sure we're all older than 10 years yes. old. So. <laughs> So back in back in 2009 the IMF actually did some research and 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 they wrote about how multinationals were tended to be less compliant during recessionary periods and I think I think we understand why companies sort of they deprioritize compliance they prioritize other issues but but remember, you know, everyone has a, a different mandate and the tax authority, their primary mandate is to collect tax revenues. And so let's face it, we know that tax authorities are going to be looking at this and they're going to try to figure out ways to shore up those deficits over the next upcoming years. And I think that's part of what the OECD has has published in terms of recommendations, at least, you know, for all these countries to come together and, and figure out the right solution that is not only going to keep their sovereign interests in mind, but also minimize the potential of, of trade wars and things of that nature, the, the negative downstream impacts of tax reform. 
That's right. And one thing we keep hearing about in terms of transfer pricing during COVID-19 is that benchmarking stands to be an issue. Why is that? So it was it was what we were talking about before. I think that the timing of the data is a problem. Now, that's number one. But number two, economic downturns don't impact companies exactly the same way. Every company deals with market crises a little bit different. Every company has a slightly different competitive advantage. I mean, these are all the challenges we would have in a normal situation anyway. But at the same time, there is an idea here that comparable companies or functionally comparable companies may start to differentiate themselves in this type of marketplace. What is that expression? The cream rises to the top? <laughs> I guess so. Or rather that the kind of benchmarking you're going to see during COVID is going to be going to make for different functional analyses than you would from before COVID, purely because the functions of companies are changing to fit this new landscape. That's true. Or to to address this new landscape, right? Supply yeah. chains are changing, operational Frameworks are changing. The infrastructures are are being modified to accommodate the new world. So, so you're right. I think from a functional profile perspective, perhaps we we end up getting more diversification. Which diversification, when it comes to a comparability analysis, makes it even more difficult to find the right comparables. In the OECD guidance on transfer pricing implications of COVID-19 pandemic just debuted, one point the guidance makes in terms of benchmarking is to compare profitability to recessionary periods, a point you also made in your article. Can you tell us about this benchmarking strategy and why it might be helpful in terms of COVID-19? It's helpful because you get at least a sense of how the market reacted or how the market was impacted by a recessionary environment. And so if you look at the prior recessionary period and you look at the differential of how are companies impacted pre-recession, post-recession, during recession, it should give some insight as to what we can expect to see from this pandemic environment. I think comparing the 2020 profitability to third-party behavior that's actually observed in the previous recessionary periods could help to provide some indicative understanding of, of what we would expect to see from a market response perspective. And what about losses? Can you include companies with losses in your comparable set? So I would say yes. Simply speaking, in this situation, yes. Now, Tax authorities normally don't like loss-making companies because that's never the intention of a business. However, fair market value of organization of prices of goods have to reflect real market conditions. And the reality of 2020 is that losses are abundant and inevitable for various sectors. So ultimately, having those loss-making companies, I think, will be a true reflection of the market conditions, number one. And number two, even if you try to reject them, by the way, I think that would leave the set of comparables with nothing. You'd have nothing to even begin with because the reality is so many companies are in loss-making situations. That's right. And country-specific requirements often dictate local comparables. How can you manage that in a year like 2020? So local comps, I think it also will be challenging. I think 
different countries have had different responses in relation to the pandemic. And so that's going to be interesting to see whether or not we see market conditions being impacted explicitly by government responses to that. So this actually helps the argument for the tax authorities to say you should use local comparables because ultimately each market has responded differently. And and because of that, the impact to businesses locally will be different. The responses will be different. The profitability will be different. In fact, businesses might have explicitly reacted because of the government response to the pandemic locally. So I think this is also very much in line with the OECD recommendation of using local comparables when possible to show market conditions. So let's say if your business had to take on many costs related to COVID, uh, many companies supplied employees with masks, gloves, face shields, dividers, oceans of hand sanitizer, so on. Obviously, these costs have to find their way to a corporate balance sheet, but under which line items and how does that affect transfer pricing? So th- that's, a, that's a great question because, to be honest, this goes to the underlying costs that are either allocable for transfer pricing purposes, depending on the type of service, or they're not allocable and, and, and depending on where they're actually, uh, actually booked. Now, I think there's probably a little bit of inconsistency in terms of how companies are, are tracking these type of expenses. Some companies are probably thinking that they're just one-time costs that can increase non-GAAP earnings. Some of them are actually considering them as ongoing BAU costs, BAU business as usual costs. So I think that this is going to be a challenge. One of the things we all know as transfer pricing practitioners is that the costs that are being picked up for purposes of the profitability analysis or the economic analysis to test the arms length nature of the intercompany transaction is sensitive to the underlying costs, whether you're using a an operating margin profit level indicator or a net cost plus profit level indicator, all of that is going to be impacted by which costs are being picked up. So this is going to be important to figure out how we create consistency or how we evaluate companies against one another consistently, right? Apples to apples. We don't want to compare apples to oranges. Now, the IRS even says that the payments of the expenses covered by the foreign PPP loan, right, under the CARES Act, will no longer be deductible. And that also could impact the profit level indicators. So it's important to understand what that means. If you have certain expenses that you've incurred, perhaps you've paid employee salaries, right? Because of the CARES Act, you were able to get government support on that. So the the salaries of those employees are not deductible. And so that's going to have a clear impact to the profitability as it relates to transfer pricing. So should those costs be picked up? Probably, right? But then you have a difference between your book versus tax and, and then even between your tax versus transfer pricing. So it's, it creates a little bit of a reconciliation nightmare, to be honest. That's right. Now, what is the OECD's recommendation for handling losses? I think the OECD's generally saying it's on a case-by-case basis. Their, their position is still very much aligned with value and risk, value creation and bearing of risks. 
which is the, the basic premise of transfer pricing and the arm's length principle. So ultimately, if entities don't bear risk, then they really shouldn't absorb losses. But that also goes back to the intercompany agreements, right? If you've modified your intercompany agreements similarly to how you've modified your third-party agreements, perhaps the, the burden of risk has shifted. And so it, it might make sense to share losses in accordance with that risk. In your article, you talk about transfer pricing policies. What should MEs and practitioners be aware of about that? So the transfer pricing policy should reflect the economic reality of the company's operations. We know that in this current environment, companies may have had to modify some of their operational frameworks, right? They might have had to mix and move their their chess pieces in the overall supply chain. And and that's going to be really important in terms of the application of your transfer pricing policies in response to those changes. You're going to have to understand what companies are doing and how they should be remunerated on an intercompany basis for such activities. So transfer pricing policies may have to be revisited after this year just to make sure that the policy matches the underlying facts and circumstances. As you know, many M&Es think of APA, Advanced Pricing Agreements, as the answer to tax certainty. How has COVID challenged that line of thinking? So an APA, just for everyone's edification, I mean, it takes many years to negotiate an APA. Whether or not it's just unilateral or bilateral, most companies go for bilateral, which means at least two countries agree on the terms of the APA. And there's one component of it that called the critical assumption, right? And so if this critical assumption is broken, the APA is no longer acceptable or it's no longer honored. And so that is, that's the main question here in my mind. Does the global pandemic change the market conditions to the extent that the critical assumption in many multinational APAs would be challenged and broken? So that's really where does an APA really help or, or hurt during these extreme market fluctuations? My take on this is essentially that it hurts, right? It, it doesn't allow the company to be flexible enough to adapt, to react, to figure it out. It, and, and by the way, the whole point of the APA is to provide a certain level of tax certainty. And when you talk about extreme market conditions, you perhaps lose that certainty anyways. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, 
Why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai/rd. That's xbs.ai/rd. Interrupting very briefly for your second CPE code word, and that code word is Zoom, as in Zoom meetings. Where would we be in 2020 without Zoom meetings? Returning to our conversation. And what's making financial transactions so tricky during the pandemic? So financial transactions are, are really tricky because interest rates themselves are pretty hard to understand. And what I mean by that is, remember, interest rates have been basically going down to zero in order to help economic stability, if you will. And the question about what that arm's length interest rate should be between related parties, it's impacted by the market conditions as it exists today. So if a company would typically under non-pandemic situations be considered investment grade, then should they continue to receive the benefits of that investment grade credit rating so that once the pandemic is over, they'll be able to bounce right back? Because we know that it's a one-time loss situation or an extreme market situation that's impacting their, their earnings. Or does the interest rate have to be established in line with the fact that that borrower based on the current facts and circumstances would be considered risky, right? So which one is the right answer? And and Matt, if you know the answer, I'd love to know. So <laughs> cat caught my tongue. Uh, but there are also intercompany agreements. What should multinational companies be aware of when it comes to them with regard to COVID-19? So intercompany agreements have been challenged, right? Or are probably coming to the forefront in in a lot of ways because many companies are able to or have invoked the force majeure clause, right? Now, we're talking about situations where there is actually a decrease in demand because of unemployment, workers are all being displaced. There could be a variety of different reasons why an intercompany agreement may not be effective anymore, especially when you talk about limited risk arrangements, right? As we were talking about before, perhaps on a pre-pandemic level, there was a limited risk distribution arrangement in place where the intercompany agreement actually stripped out the risk of the affiliated distributor. But then, you know, in response to current market conditions, it didn't really make sense to continue to do that because ultimately then does it make sense? Is it fair for one side of the transaction to bear the brunt of the entire impact, economic impact of of the pandemic? So I think that intercompany agreements you need to make sure that they are representative of the current situation of the company. And to the extent that you need to renegotiate them based on how your companies and affiliates have reacted to one another, how that's impacted the actual transfer price for your organization, that will be a good exercise. And what I mean by that is nobody looks at the agreements 
until there's an extreme situation. I feel like that's always the case, right? Nobody actually looks at what are the major details of the agreement, but I have to be, but let's be fair, the agreement was put together to respond to these extreme conditions. It, it is there to help companies and give them certain assurances and protections in these extreme situations. And so now that we have encountered it, will the intercompany agreements be honored accordingly or have they been honored accordingly? That's going to be the question. Or have they been challenged and perhaps modified accordingly? And should they be modified? And a lot of times they should. So agreements need to actually align with the facts and circumstances and the functional profiles of the organizations and how these related parties want to interact going forward, especially under extreme situations. I was actually listening to the old podcast we did earlier this year with William Burns from the Sarasota retreat that we did. And he mentioned how even with what we knew about COVID at that point, which was a fair amount, it was we were about a week away from lockdown of our own offices. But he mentioned that coronavirus is going to be a bad year for many things. It's going to be a great year uh, for stress testing entities along these lines, especially with what we're seeing in supply chains. And I think that's absolutely borne out in the nine months since. Mimi, we've talked in many podcasts about good documentation practices like contemporaneous documentation and robust documentation. Uh, how can these practices help you in terms of transfer pricing during the year of COVID? Well, I think documentation should be contemporaneous, especially in these times. And, and part of the reason why is because people have short-term memories, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, let's, let's be fair. There's a reason why I can't personally remember the horrors of, of child rear <laughs> birthing. <laughs> Maybe too extreme, but <laughs> there's a reason I might not have had my second child if I remembered stuff like that. But I, I think the human brain is a little bit wired to be able to um, deal with stressful environments. And part of that is perhaps looking at glass half full, right? Taking a, a, a looking back at it um, and, and, and only remembering the good and not necessarily remembering all the bad. I think that's kind of true for their pandemic. Yeah. Because if the company has engaged in a lot of organizational changes, ultimately that company is going to want to document how and what happened, right? Because they want to be able to respond accordingly. And by the time they get audited, I should say, which could be anywhere from, you know, next year to seven years, later or perhaps even 10 years later, depending on the country. Mm. Ultimately, the people who are going to remember why the company reacted in such a way are not necessarily going to still be with the company, number one. Number two, even if they are with the company, like I said, people's memories are not flawless, right? <laughs> and so it's going to be harder for them to understand exactly why certain decisions have been made, which is why now's the time to document it. Now's the time to put it down on paper to make sure that whatever responses were undertaken from an intercompany perspective should be written down um, so that by the time 
people are picking it up to understand exactly what happened, they just need to pick up the piece of paper they, or they just need to open that file and document and they can easily understand how the company reacted and survived the pandemic if they, if they did, right? Right, right. Narrative first and take tax authorities along that narrative. And interrupting very briefly for our third and final CPE code word for this episode, and that code word is vaccine as in hurry up and make a vaccine available for mass distribution. And back to our conversation, in your article, you also talk about how technology can help with a year like 2020. Can you tell us about the ways transfer pricing technology can be a real service in 2020 transfer pricing? Oh, yes. Technology helps us in our daily lives everywhere, but especially in a year like 2020, when we're talking about tax departments that are even more stressed and asked to further reduce budgets. And now they have to figure out how do they respond to all these changes of the facts and circumstances and and these moving parts within the entire organization. I think technology is the only way to be able to address that, right? And technology can help in a variety of ways. Number one, clearly technology can help with benchmarking and and run those different scenarios very quickly it can do forecasting and modeling and planning in reaction to the changes in the facts and circumstances it also alleviates those budgetary pressures because it's a much more long-term sustainable investment as opposed to paying billable hour consulting fees i think a dollar in, invested in technology is a dollar better spent than a dollar invested in a minute of a consultant's time or an hour of a consultant's time or whatever that is, because you can't take that with you necessarily, right? But the technology will continuously be there to support whatever initiatives you need to have. That's right. And so much of a consultant's work or it happens in a reactionary context. That's right. As we tell everybody about being proactive versus reactive. I also think it it, it helps to keep track of all the changes in the deadlines. I, I mean, yes, it's beneficial that a lot of governments have, have extended their filing timelines, right, in response to the pandemic environment, which is great. But if you take advantage of that and then you forget that that those extended deadlines are no longer applicable, you have to be able to turn that off, if you will, you know, in the future year or next year, right? And so you got to keep track of those deadlines. You Once again, you have to figure out how are you going to store all this information, all this great contemporaneous documentation you're keeping to, to make sure that you know, your successors understand the choices that were made for the business during this pandemic. Where is all that going to be saved? Even stuff like that. It's the simple stuff. But if people can't find what you've done, well, that's that's a problem in and of itself, too. So anyways, that's why I think technology helps on a lot of different fronts. And what is the takeaway given your own expertise and OECD guidance? I think it's important to evaluate the transactions as they occurred over this past year. You know, a lot of companies might say, well, we didn't really do anything on a related party basis. We just had a slight decline in the sale of goods or we had to shift some of their burden of responsibility because we had to furlough people in this jurisdiction or something along those lines. Well, what are the implications of that from a facts and circumstances perspective? What are the implications from a functional analysis perspective? Has that changed anything? 
I mean, I think that needs to be evaluated. And this is why documentation is so crucial and critical for 2020. And then in addition to the standard economic analysis and the application of the arm's length principle, I think it'll be important to look at different types of corroborative methods, whether or not that's looking at historical years, previous recessionary periods, or ensuring that you have specific details related to the intercompany contract negotiations and minutes of that. All of that is going to be utterly important to make sure that you're not exposing your company to unnecessary transfer pricing risk. And, and finally, clearly technology is going to play a more important role. I tend to feel like technology is more embraced after these times of crisis, if you will. If we think about the last recession, that's when these new business models like Uber and Airbnb came out. And I think we talked about this before, but, but this is when people start to embrace these new opportunities because they say, hey, you know what? Maybe it's okay that we don't continue to do the same thing because we can be impacted by this thing called a pandemic or the coronavirus. <laughs> and, and maybe there are better ways to deal with it. Maybe people don't have to be in an office space together. Maybe we can still continue to operate this global business by working remotely. And maybe it's okay that people don't have offices in every jurisdiction around the world. And in fact, embracing technology to keep ahead of information and the changing regulatory environment, I think is going to be key to helping the tax department move to the, the next, next level, if you will. Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp. That's xbs.ai slash tp. We want to thank Mimi for getting on the phone with us today to talk about her article in Bloomberg. There's lots to think about here in terms of transfer pricing for 2020, but founding principles still apply Arm's length transactions align with similar transactions by independent third parties. Read more about transfer pricing 2020 in Mimi Song's Bloomberg article titled Tax Scrutiny and What You Can Expect in 2021. And while you're at it, don't forget to check out Mimi's white paper on the cross-border front page. That's www.xbs.ai, titled Transfer Pricing in the Time of COVID-19, Cross-Border Solutions Summary of OECD Guidance.
Visit www.xbs.ai for more. Thank you so much to everybody at home for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify while you're there. Also, don't forget to check out our short form transfer pricing in the news podcast. That's the Fiona show hot off the press. All of your global reg changes and transfer pricing headlines from across the globe in under 10 minutes. My name is Matthew DeMello, and they let me host, edit, and engineer this podcast. Christy Clements is our associate producer. Marilyn Mitchum-Strom is our executive producer. For real this time, everyone have a happy holiday season. Stay safe, wear a mask, and we'll catch everyone next year.